The first story that I would like to tell you this year is about my Aunt Iris. She has passed away now, so she lived a long time ago. She is my mother's sister, and my mother's name was Irma. Back in those days when a woman had a baby, she usually had that baby at home. Well, one day when my mom was 10 years old, she woke up in the morning and it was the 24th of December, the day before Christmas. And it was a Christmas that she would never forget. Her mother called her in and said, Irma, I want you to take this note down the street to Mrs. Rutherford. So she did. She took it to her and Mrs. Rutherford gave her a whole bunch of newspapers and told her to take them home. And Irma thought, why does she want all these newspapers? And before Mrs. Rutherford sent her home, she told her to ask her mother if she could come back over and go to the movie with her daughter. She did ask her mother for permission to do that, and her mother said yes. When she returned to go to the movie, she told the girl something's wrong at her house because she can't figure out why her mother is letting her go to the movie like that out of the clear blue sky. There must be something wrong with my mother, she thought. She told her friend, when we get ready to go to the movie, let's go over to my house and see what's wrong. When she got to their house, Mrs. Rutherford met them at the gate and she said, what are you girls doing here? And she said, I want to see my mother. Mrs. Rutherford said, your mother is fine, and so she took the girls over to the movie. The movie was a long one, and it was cold, and they couldn't wait for it to get over. Irma went the long way home so that if Mrs. Rutherford was looking out the window watching for her, she wouldn't be able to see her. When she got home, she looked through the kitchen window, and she saw her dad and a strange man in the house. She wondered, who was that? When she got in the house, her father greeted her and he put his arms around her and he said, I bet you don't know what we have there in the back bedroom. Come back here and you will see. Well, Irma went back with him into the bedroom and she saw this little baby girl laying in the bed with her mom. She said that it was the cutest little baby she had ever seen in her life. And she was so tickled to see this baby. They called her Iris, and they said, this is your new baby sister. And Irma said that Iris brought more happiness in their family than anything that ever happened to them. Everyone in this family loved little Iris so much because she was so cute. She could actually walk at nine months old. And she was a little bit spoiled because everybody loved her. She walked so early that it amazed everyone. She was very independent, and it tickled her family that she was so independent. Irma said that Iris brought more happiness in their family than anything that ever happened to them. In fact, all the brothers and sisters referred to her as the greatest Christmas they ever had. Iris was the child of my Grandma Jarrett, and Grandma Jarrett had eight children. Two of them died when they were babies, but six of them lived, and Iris is the baby. She had four older brothers, and Glenn was one of those brothers. When he would come home from work, they lived in Lindell, Utah. 
when Iris was about four or five months old, he would take her out on the porch holding her, and the, the porch wasn't quite finished that they were building. There were some bolts sticking up out of the cement. That's just like a big stick sticking up in the air. Well, Glenn was holding Iris and playing with her, and he walked out onto the porch. And in the process, there was a hose that ran across the porch that night. And when Glenn went out, he tripped over it, and he fell while he was holding Iris. He realized that he was going to fall on one of those bolts, and he wanted to make sure that Iris wasn't hurt. So on the way down, he made his body turn at the last minute, and he landed on the bolt, and he saved little Iris from hitting it. It did go into his back, that bolt, and it hurt him very much. The family was so proud of Glenn and treated him like a hero. They thought it was wonderful how he had the presence of mind to protect his little sister. I hope that all of you feel like that about your brothers and sisters. If anything happened to your sister or to your brother, would you help them? And would you take care of them? I hope so. This is a story about Grandma Bruce and her brother Rex. Rex was a little bit older than Grandma Bruce, and when they were little kids, after school sometimes they wouldn't come straight home from school. In those days you could walk home from school and you were safe. You can't do that today. A couple of times it was dark before they finally got home, and their mother had told them, what are you doing when you get out of school? You're taking too long to play. You need to get home and get your chores done. I don't want you taking so long when you get home from school. You come straight home from school. And they said they would, and they promised they would, but another came, day came by, and they were late again getting home because they stopped to play on the merry-go-round that one of the, their friend's father had made. And when they got home at the door, their mother was waiting for them. And she had a little package all wrapped up in a sweater in each one of those packages, and she said, I'm sorry, but you two can't live here anymore. You won't, you won't mind, and I want children who come straight home from school. So you go find yourself another place to live. And she pushed them out the door and shut the door. Well, Mother was terrified. Her mom had never done anything like that to, to her before. She said, I, I don't know where to go. Rex, what are we going to do? And then Rex remembered that his uncle Earl, Grandma Jarrett's brother, lived down the alley from them, so... They, they headed down there to go to his place and hoped that Uncle Earl would let them live with them. Uh, and when they got there, Grandma Jarrett had already talked to him, and he said, well, can we stay here and live with you? He said, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, you, you can't live with me. Well, could we just stay in your barn and we'll just live in your barn because we don't have anywhere that we can stay. Well, he said, well, I can't let you stay here because I don't have any more beds. Well, we'll just sleep in a corner. He said, I don't have any more corners. Well, we'll just sleep on the floor. He said, oh, no, no, there's mice in here in our house sometimes, and I don't want mice getting on you. And while they were just begging, begging, please let us stay, please let us stay, Grandma Jarrett walked in. She was out checking on the kids to see where they went, and they ran up to her and said, please, Mom, please let us come home. We promise we'll never be late for school again, not ever, ever, ever. If you'll just let us stay with you again, we'll 
obey the rules. She said, well, I'm not sure you mean it. You told me that before. And she said, Mom, I promise you, I will never, ever be late coming home from school again. That was the end of that, because they never, ever broke their word again. They came home. This is a story about a surprise for Grandma Bruce that she never expected. Remember the story about the ring, and she didn't expect it to be in the box after the box after the box? Well, this is another story kind of like that. Grandma had a best friend back in Michigan, and her name was Fid, F-I-D. It's kind of a funny name, isn't it? So Fid called one day, and she said, I want you and Burl to come over to my house for dinner tonight. My husband and I want to have a nice dinner, and we want you to come. But when she got there, Lizzie and Roy were also there, and Lizzie was Grandpa Bruce's sister. And so she was surprised. But the table was set with the best plates, and the funny thing about it was all the plates were upside down at the table instead of the tables being set right. And Fid told everybody where to sit. And then when they all got set down, she said, Now I want everybody to turn over their plate. And when Grandma turned, Bruce turned her plate over, there was a set of car keys on the table. And Grandma Bruce said, Well, what are these for? And Dad said, I want you to come to the back door and you'll see. She did, and there was a new dark blue Chevrolet parked in the back, and he said, The keys are for it. I just bought it for you. She was so excited and so happy because she'd never had a new car before. And that's the way he was. When he wanted to surprise somebody that he really loved, he would do surprises like that. And that was such a surprise. And he put that in the newspaper. And the newspaper article said, John Burrow Bruce buys brand new car for his wife, Irma. She said, I love that car so much just because he got it just for me. This is another story about Grandma Bruce with one of her older brothers named Lavelle. Grandma Bruce had four older brothers. When Grandma Bruce was about five years old, her friend Lavelle had borrowed his friend's bicycle just to take a ride. And he was delivering papers to earn money to buy a bike for himself. He just kept begging, Grandma Bruce just kept begging, please take me for a ride, please take me for a ride. So finally, Lavelle decided to take her on the bike, and before he started, he said, Okay, you can sit up on the handlebars, and I want you to remember to hold your legs out straight, because if you don't and you let your foot get caught in the wheel, it will break the bike. She said, I promise, I'll hold my legs up, I promise. Well, he took her for such a long ride that she couldn't hold her legs up anymore. She's only six, you know. And she let them drop, and the heel of her shoe got caught in the spokes of the bike and tipped them right over and they went crashing. And when they did, it tore out several spokes in the wheel and ripped the heel right off of her shoe. And about half the skin on her foot came off. Because that's a very dangerous thing to put your foot in the wheel of a bike when it's going. Uncle Lavelle was so upset because that wasn't his bike. He just sat down by that bike and started to cry. He knew he'd have to pay for it, and he'd have to take all his money that he had been earning from his paper route to fix his friend's bike. He was so mad at Grandma Bruce for putting her feet down. Boys and girls, this is a true story about a woman named Irma. And I know this story is true because this story is about my mother.
That's kind of a different name, isn't it, Irma? She lived almost 80 years ago, back in the time when you had to go outside and get wood and put it inside your stove to make it work. When she was just a little baby, about two years old, she was sitting in her high chair in the kitchen right next to the stove to keep warm. Her mother went outside by the back door just for a minute or so just to get some more wood for the stove. In that very few minutes that she was gone, little Irma had been playing with a toy and she dropped it on the floor. She tried to reach over her high chair and reach down to the floor and when she did, she knocked her high chair over and tipped it over and her face fell right on top of the stove and she couldn't get it up because she was too little and she was pinned down. She started screaming her head off because the stove was burning her face so badly. Her mother heard her crying and ran into the house as fast as she could. She pulled her off of the stove and she saw a horrible sight. The whole side of her face was burned and it burned a hole right through her cheek and you could see her teeth. Her mother yelled for her son, Rex, run, Rex, run, run down the street to nurse Nancy's house and bring her here as fast as you can. Hurry. He ran like a bullet. Of course, nurse Nancy came running and she knew just what to do to help her. They fixed the wound and they put ointment and a bandage on it, but it still hurt her for a very, very long time. Then nurse Nancy told her mother to be sure and rub olive oil on Irma's face every single day so as the wound is healing so it wouldn't be stiff. She said, you have to do this no matter what, even if she doesn't want you to, because it will keep the scar moist and her face won't grow crooked. So every single day, mother did exactly what nurse Nancy told her to do. She would hold Irma and she would rub that olive oil in her face for her. Well, Irma hated that. She hated it. And she would scream and she would cry and she would throw a fit and she would try to get away. But her mother knew that she had to do it to help her so that her face would heal properly. Finally, over the years, her face did heal. She wasn't deformed. If you put your thumb in your mouth and your pointy finger up by your eye and you pinch, then you look in the mirror, you can see what would have happened to her face if her mother hadn't put that olive oil on her face. It would have, the scars would have been stiff and pulled her face into a funny position. Well, when Irma became a teenager, she always thought she was going to, she wasn't, but she thought she was. When she would see that scar on her face, not a deformed scar, it embarrassed her. And sometimes when she called her scar face, why are kids so mean and why do they call each other names? Well, one day she was crying to her mother about how ugly she thought she was. And her mother was tired of hearing her whine all the time about it. She told her, I want you to go out and get in the buggy. We're going for a ride. So she drove her into town to a lady's house that her mother knew. When they walked to the door, this lady had her back to them. Irma could see that she was very beautiful because she saw the side of her face. But when she turned all the way around, she could see that she had been burned just like she was when she was a baby. But no one put olive oil on her face, and her face was pinched up on the side. It shocked Irma so bad to see her face like that that she almost went, <gasps> but she didn't. This lady was such a nice lady, and they became good friends. 
Irma learned something that day. She learned that her mother had done the right thing. All those times that she held her down and rubbed olive oil into her face, she learned that her face wasn't deformed and that she should be thankful for that. Never ever again did Irma ever cry about her scar on her face. She was very thankful for Nurse Nancy and for her mother that did what was best for her, even though she kicked and screamed all the way through it. So can you remember that some of the most wonderful people that you will ever meet in your life are people that are handicapped in some way? They are so full of love and compassion because people have been cruel to them as they were growing up and they never ever want to hurt anybody so they can be some of the best friends you'll ever have. Also, you should remember to be thankful for your life, for your body, for what you have and don't kick and scream all the way to your blessings. This is another story about me, your grandma, when I was about six years old. We lived in Michigan, and when we went to church, we had to go a long, long ways to church. We didn't have a church down the street that we could walk to. We had to get in our car and drive a long ways. Sometimes we went to church, and sometimes we didn't. But this particular week, it was called conference, and so we had to go to the stake center. We lived in Ypsilanti, Michigan, but we had to travel a long ways to a place called Pontiac, Michigan. Well, on the way there, uh, a policeman stopped our car that my mom was driving. All those kids were in the car. And he said to her when he stopped her, Ma'am, you have made an illegal turn. Didn't you see that sign back there that said no left-hand turn? Mother said, I didn't see it. I didn't know. I'm sorry. He told her to look back at it. You can see it. And when she turned around, sure enough, there was the sign that said, no left-hand turn. Well, all of his kids were in the back seat looking pitiful at the policeman as if to say to him, please don't take our mom to jail. The policeman could see that we were worried. And he said, I really ought to give you a ticket. But he turned to us kids in the back seat and he said, do you suppose that your mother would buy you kids an ice cream cone if I don't give her a ticket? And my mother said, I know she would. And the policeman said, okay, I will not give you a ticket if you promise me that you will take these children straight to the ice cream store and buy them an ice cream. That is your punishment. And my mother took us straight to the ice cream store and bought us all ice cream. So from then on, we always really liked policemen because they were nice. This is another true story of something that happened to my mother. When my mother got older, because she was very poor when she was growing up, she could never go to the dentist. And so when she was a grown-up woman, she had very bad teeth. And her teeth were so bad that she had to go to the dentist and have every single tooth pulled out of her head. And she had to get what's called false teeth. That's why you kids always want to remember to brush your teeth every single day. So that you well, anyway... My mom is a grown woman, and she had to have all of her teeth pulled out and have false teeth put in. We kids would sometimes tease her because we'd go in her bathroom, and she'd have this glass of water, and there sitting in the water was her teeth, and that was so gross. And we'd say, Mom, that's gross to put your teeth in water. Sometimes she'd even put the water glass by her bed at night, and you'd think, gross, to take your teeth out of your mouth and put them in a jar? She had to put them in a jar of water and then this pill thing she would put in there that would fizz all around and clean them. So by morning, they were perfectly clean. So we would always do false teeth jokes to my mom and tease her. Well, she had a horrible experience one day about those teeth.
and she called me up. I was a grown-up woman, and I had several kids of my own. And she called up, and she was crying. I said, Mother, what's wrong? Why are you crying? What's the matter? She was hysterical. She said, I woke up this morning, and I started to get ready to go to work, and I can't find my false teeth. They're missing. I cannot go to work with no teeth in my mouth. I have to put my false teeth in my mouth. I can't find them. And she said, I've torn through the whole house. I've looked everywhere, and I'm going to be late for work, and I have to have my teeth. You've got to come over to my house right now and help me find those teeth. I have to go to work. Of course, I told her, I'll be right over. I remember getting in my car and driving over to my mom's house, and I started laughing inside my head because I could see her in my mind without any teeth in her head. How could she go to work with no teeth? But I thought to myself, I better not laugh right now. I better laugh all the way to her house, but when I get there, I better stop laughing because my mom is crying and she's upset. Well, I did laugh all the way over to her house. And I got there, and my mom was all dressed for work, and she had no teeth in her mouth at all, and she was so upset. But when I got there, she had finally found them. Guess where she found them? Underneath the toilet, way in the back on the floor. And she was so upset because she showed me the teeth, and one tooth was gone, right in the middle of her mouth, so that when she would smile, there would be one tooth missing. She was in the kitchen holding one tooth in her hand and the other teeth in her hand. And she was so upset. What am I going to do? She said, Ginger, what am I going to do? I can't go to work like this with one tooth missing. I said, well, Grandma or Mom, that's what crazy glue is for. Let's just get some crazy glue and let's glue your tooth back into your false teeth. And then you can put them in your mouth and then you can go to work. She said, that's a great idea. So we went and got the crazy glue, which is the kind of glue usually women put on when they wear fake fingernails, and we glued her tooth back into her false teeth. And she put them in her mouth, and she hurried and finished getting ready for work and went out the door as fast as she could and was just a little bit late for work. But I'm telling you, all the time for the rest of her life, we always teased her about Patches, her dog, who stole her teeth off of her nightstand and chewed the front tooth out, and we called her Toothless Mom. This is another story about Grandma Bruce. When she was in the first grade, she still lived in Lendill, Utah, and while she was in school, she had to go to the bathroom so, so bad. They didn't have toilets in those days like they do now. It was what's called an outhouse. And you went way out, away from the school, and you went to the bathroom in this little tiny thing that looked like a little teeny bitty barn. She raised her hand and she asked the teacher, can I go to the bathroom? The teacher said, no. She raised her hand again in a few minutes and she said, can I go to the bathroom? I really have to go. And the teacher said, no. And she couldn't disobey her teacher, and so she couldn't hold it in any longer, so she just peed her pants while she was sitting at her desk, and it ran all down underneath her desk on the floor for everyone to see, and she was so embarrassed. She started to cry, and she hid behind the door, and she waited till all the kids went home from school. She would not come out, and then she went home. And her mother looked at her and said, what happened to you? 
And she told her mom what happened, that she had to go to the bathroom, that she couldn't help it, that she had to go, and the teacher wouldn't let her go. And her mother said, what? That teacher wouldn't let you go when you told her you had to go when she let you have this embarrassing experience? That makes me so mad. And so Grandma Jarrett, she puts on her hat, her bonnet, and her shawl, and she walks right down to that school, and she goes to that teacher, and she says, let me tell you something, lady. If my daughter ever raises her hand again and says she has to go to the bathroom, you better darn well let my little girl go to the bathroom. How dare you let her have an embarrassing experience like that that she has to live with for the rest of her life? That was so rude of you not to let her go to the bathroom. When a child says they have to go to the bathroom, they have to go to the bathroom. So, that teacher never let that happen again. Grandma Bruce meets a burned lady. She grew up with that scar on her face and she hated it. Every time she looked in the mirror, she said to herself, I am ugly. I will never be pretty. I will never have a boyfriend. And she felt very sorry for herself. And it didn't help that when she went to school, kids were rude and they called her Scarface. When they called her Scarface, their brothers, she had four older brothers, and they came after him, and they never called her Scarface again because they knew how badly that hurt her feelings. But she just couldn't get over it. She's going into her teenage years feeling ugly. And so her mother said to her one day, get in the buggy, we're going to go somewhere. So they went to see this friend that Grandma Jarrett had. It was her mother. And they went, when they went in the house, the lady had her back to her, and then she turned to her side of her face that was whole. And when she turned all the way around, she had a very bad scarred face. And Irma went, oh, it scared her. And she saw what happened to that woman because no one rubbed olive oil on her scar. Her face was twisted. It was pulled up at the eye. It would be like if you took your thumb and put it in your mouth and your forefinger and you put it up by your eye and just squeezed it and pinched it together. That's what she looked like. And Irma looked at her and she said to herself, oh my gosh, now I see why my mother held me down and put olive oil on my scar so that I don't have any disforming like that. And when she rode home, she said, I understand now. And I'm very lucky that I can put makeup on and people don't even see a scar. So she stopped complaining and feeling sorry for herself. Now this is a story about how Grandma Bruce met my dad. His name was Burl, John Burl. Only they called him by his middle name, Burl. Grandma was in high school in her senior year and she got a job at a newsstand inside the Union Pacific Railroad Depot selling magazines, candy, gum, and stuff like that. And she worked there the whole summer and had a good time doing it. Well, she met Grandpa Bruce there because many people were in town working on what's called the Boulder Dam. And there was a ticket agent there where Grandma was working, and his name was Ira. He was a very friendly man, and his wife used to bring them good things to eat. Well, one day, it was really hot in July, and so this guy was leaning against the front counter, and he was perspiring so bad that sweat was dripping off his chin, and he was mumbling some words like he was going to shock or something. And um, he, he was way over there across the room from where Grandma Bruce was in the heat, having a heat stroke. 
So she opened the door of her little newsstand where she was and ran over to the ticket office that was at the end of the waiting room, and she said, Ira, you've got to do something. That man over there is having a heat stroke. He might die. Ira said, no, Irma, he's one of those, those canned heat artists. He's not having a stroke. He's just a con man. So she called the, he called the police. She went back into her newsstand and kept mumbling. This guy kept mumbling at her, saying, Bang, bang, you in the yellow dress, you're dead, pointing his finger at her. Kind of scared her a little bit. He kept doing that until the police came. And while they were waiting for the police, my dad and his friend came into the depot, the, the little check stand where they were, to get a drink of cold water at the water fountain. And the police finally got him in the car, and it took three of them to do it because he was so big. That night, or rather that afternoon, as Grandma was walking home from work to the desert trail, my dad comes, and his friend, they were going to town, he said to my mom, looks to me like you need a bodyguard to protect you from guys like that. And she said, it sure does, doesn't it? And then she went on her way. The next day he came back to that newsstand where she was, and they talked for a long time. Grandpa Bruce told her his name and where he was from, and he said that he'd come out here to work on the Boulder Dam. He left, and the next day he came back again, and they talked some more. Then he asked her if she'd like to go to a movie. She said, well, I don't know you, so I don't think I should. He said, well, I don't know you either. So they decided to go to the open-air theater on South First Street. They went to the show, and then they got a root beer float at the A&W root beer stand, and then they walked home. They must have walked around the block about five times, just taking time to get there. He told Grandma Bruce all about his life, his work, his family, and said that they were really suffering from the Depression of the 1930s. Anyway, while they were standing there by this big tree in the front yard, Grandma Bruce was leaning against it, and he had his arm on the trunk of the tree over her head, and he said, and Grandma Bruce said, well, I've got to go inside now. My mom's probably waiting for her. He said, well, are you going to give me a kiss goodnight? She said, no, I don't kiss fellows the first time I go out with them. And he said, this one you do. And he reached over and kissed her. He left, and she went inside, and she talked to her mother about him. She said she was very impressed with him, and they had a couple more dates, and he got that job at the Boulder Dam he wanted. So he moved out to Boulder City and lived in the dorms out there. He didn't have a car, so the only time they saw each other was on the weekends and at the dances. Um, then they didn't see each other for quite a while, and she wondered what happened to him. One night, her best friend, Ronnie, said that they were walking to her house down Fremont Street when he went by in a car. And he turned around and came back and asked him where Grandma Bruce had been. Or she asked him where he had been, and he said he'd gone back home to see his sister and then decided to come back to Vegas. He had bought himself a car with the money that he earned working on the dam. So they went and got to see each other more and more often, and they fell in love. And they went together seriously until Thanksgiving, and then they decided they wanted to get married. They were married on the 10th of January, 1933. They were too poor, and they didn't have a ring, so he borrowed a ring from my mother's brother's wife, Aunt Blanche, and he said, I promise you, the day will come when I will, when I will buy you a 
very beautiful ring, and it'll be the prettiest wedding ring you ever saw. And that happened the very next Christmas. The very next year, Grandpa Bruce did buy her that ring, and he wanted to surprise her for Christmas. And so he took that ring in a little bitty box, and then he wrapped it in a bigger box, and then he wrapped that in a bigger box, and then he wrapped that in a bigger box, and then he wrapped that in a bigger box, till he had this huge, gigantic box under the Christmas tree. And on Christmas morning, he stood back and leaned against the wall by the door, and he just watched her open that present. And she was so surprised because it was a huge box, she had no idea what was inside. And she opened this huge box, and then there was another box. And she'd open that box, and there was another box. And she just kept opening it and opening it and opening it, so surprised at what she would be able to find. And when she opened that box and she saw her wedding ring, she started to cry, and she was so happy. And she says, I will always remember because I looked up at Burl, and he was crying too. He had big tears coming down her face. So even though sometimes they had problems and they didn't get along like they should, they really, really, really did love each other. This story is called The Pellet Gun. There was a young boy named Johnny, and he was given a pellet gun for Christmas. He loved that gun. It's kind of like a BB gun, only more powerful. He would go out in the backyard and he would shoot cans and bottles, and sometimes he'd even shoot at birds. I don't really think it's a good idea to shoot birds, do you? They're little and they're innocent, and maybe he should just stick to shooting cans and bottles. But anyway, there were some rules that his father told him he must obey, or the gun would be taken away from him. The rules were, number one, never, ever, ever point that gun at a person. Number two, never leave that gun laying outside. Number four, three, when you bring it in the house, you make sure you empty the pellets out. That means you take out all the bullets so that no one would pick it up and accidentally hurt themselves. He always obeyed the rules because he loved that gun and he did not want it taken away from him. Well, one day he was in a real fast hurry. He had to go to the bathroom. He ran in the door and he put the gun behind the door so that no one would see it. Then he ran into the bathroom. After he finished going to the bathroom, his mind got distracted and he forgot to go back and empty the gun. Later that day, his mother was scrubbing the floor in the kitchen and she noticed the gun behind the door, so she picked it up to move it so that she could clean under it. And when she sat it down in another place, somehow the gun went off and shot a pellet right into her wrist. Everyone in the family heard the gun go off and they came running into the kitchen. His mother was holding her wrist and she said, I've been shot. I shot myself. Johnny knew that it was his fault. There was no time to talk about it now. They had to get mom in the car and rush her to the hospital. All the way out the door to the car, Johnny kept saying, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry. She said, it's okay, son. It was an accident. It's okay. But dad didn't feel that way about it because he knew what the rules were. Johnny felt so bad about the look in his father's eyes as he drove off to the hospital. In about two hours, they came back, and everything was okay. The doctor had to dig the bullet out, and his mom had a bandage on her wrist. Dad went into the house and took the pellet gun and kept it, and Johnny never got to play with it again.
Guns are very, very dangerous things. And if you ever see one, boys and girls, don't ever touch it. It's not a toy. If you see someone smaller than you playing with a gun, you run as fast as you can to an adult and you tell them. If there is a gun in your house, you leave it alone. Stay safe and don't. Grandma Bruce really loved her father. When her father was a little boy, he was riding on a horse that somehow kicked him and fell on him, and it broke his leg, and the leg wasn't set right, and somehow it, it took all the water off of his knee when it happened. And when that happens, your leg can go stiff because they didn't have doctors then like they do now that can straighten all that out. So he, he walked with one leg that could bend and one leg that was totally stiff. So he kind of had to hop along everywhere he went because he could just hold your leg out straight and see how bad it would be for you to have to walk like that because he couldn't bend his knee because his knee didn't work anymore. Well, one time Grandma Jarrett was really sick and so they had to put her in the hospital. And she'd been there for several days. And on Saturday, Grandma Bruce went to see her, and she asked her if it would be okay if she went to the dance that night. She said, sure, I'm coming home tomorrow, so you get ready, and you go to the dance, and that'll be just fine. Only Grandma Jarrett forgot to tell her husband that she would be going to the dance. Grandpa Jarrett sometimes drank, and when he drank, he didn't act like he should. Sometimes he'd cry or yell or scream or something, and it'd be very embarrassing if he was ever drunk. Well, for some reason, that day, he started to drink. And Grandma Bruce was always used to asking her mom if she could do something, and her mother would give her permission. She was never used to asking her dad if she could do something. So... Grandma Bruce went with her best friend, Vonnie, to the dance. And when the dance was over and they came, they drove up to their place. She was in the back seat of the car. Uh, and all of a sudden, she heard her dad screaming, Irma, you get in this house right now. Oh, my gosh. She was so embarrassed. He screamed, there you are out gallivanting around all over this city when your mother's laying half dead in a hospital. He was kind of been drinking and he was coming out and she could see that he was wearing his long underwear. And all of her friends saw him in his underwear. She jumped out of that car as fast as she could and she yelled to Vonnie to get out of there fast, drive away quick. She never even said goodnight to her dad. She just went right in the house, and she was so embarrassed. She cried the whole entire night because her father embarrassed her to death, screaming at her like that and in his long underwear. The next morning, he was sober, and he came in, and he pulled the covers away from her face and said, Come on, Irma. I got your breakfast all fixed. It's all the things you like. It was his way of saying that he was sorry. And Grandma Bruce says, that's the only time in my life that I remember him screaming and reprimanding me for anything. He never acted like that. He always left it up to my mom. She said she finally came in and ate, and he, he had made all the things that she really liked, so she forgave him. But that was a very, very embarrassing moment for him. How would you like your mom and dad to come out in the front yard in their underwear yelling at you? It would not be funny, would it? Irma takes the leaves off the trees. 
When Irma was a little girl, she wasn't too big, maybe six or seven, and they had just planted some brand new trees in their yard, maybe 15 of them. And she thought it was so fun as they started to grow and leaves started coming off the tr- on the trees that she would just go down and take a branch and take her hand and just go whoop and take all the leaves off the trees and they'd come into her hand and she'd say, that was fun. Then she found another branch and you went whoop and she took all the leaves off the trees. And she did that all the way down the yard till she had so many leaves. Well, when her mother came outside and to water her trees and she saw her beautiful trees and they had no leaves on them. She was so upset. She said, who did this? Who took these leaves off this tree? Somebody did this. Nobody's going to say anything because they knew they would get a whipping. And finally, she found out that Irma did it, and she did get a whipping. And she said, why did you do that? I want to know why you did that. And she said, I don't know. It was just fun to do it, and I just did it. She got back. This next story I'm going to tell you is about my mother, Grandma Bruce. Her name is Irma Jarrett Bruce. When she was in about the seventh or eighth grade, they were really, really poor and she needed some tennis shoes and she lived here in Las Vegas, Nevada at the time. Her family couldn't afford to get her any tennis shoes and one day when she was at school she noticed that there were a pair of tennis shoes that were hung where the coats were at school and they had been there for weeks and no one ever claimed them and nobody ever used them so she figured there's extra tennis shoes that nobody wants. And so one day when no one was looking she knew she needed them and nobody claimed those shoes so she just took them. About two or three days later, K.O. Knudsen, who was the principal of the school, called all the kids together in a room. And he said, there has been a pair of tennis shoes taken off the shelf, and I don't know who took them. I would like them put back on the shelf as soon as possible, please. Well, Mother felt like she was looking right at her. She had taken them home and dyed them, so that no one would know that she's the one that took them and she hid them in her room. So she took the tennis shoes, she painted them a different color and hid them under her bed so no one would know. She knew she was in deep trouble now because those tennis shoes had to be put back and she knew that she did it. She knew she had to tell her mother. Well, she did tell her mother about it and her mother said, well, where have you kept those shoes hidden from me that I haven't seen them? She said, I've kept them hidden in my bedroom under my bed. Well, uh, Mrs. Knudsen had warned those kids that they'd better be returned before the next morning. And her mother knew that she couldn't take them back like that because she dyed them a different color. And so she took her down to the store and bought a brand new pair of tennis shoes. And she said, now you put those tennis shoes back. And you're going to have to do chores and earn money from me until you can pay for those tennis shoes I just bought you. And I'm very thankful that you were brave enough to tell me the truth, but I hope you've learned a good lesson here. Just because something's sitting somewhere and no one claims it, that does not make it yours. That's the same as stealing. Don't ever do that again. And she didn't. Elder. This is about a water fight that Grandma Bruce was in with her other brother, Uncle Glenn. He's my uncle. I call him Uncle Glenn. 
Uncle Glenn was noted for loving children a lot, and he was very, very handsome. All the girls loved Uncle Glenn because he was really good in sports. He was a star on the football team, a tar star on the basketball team, star on the track team. He was tall and handsome and friendly, had big old dimples, and they just loved Uncle Glenn. And when he went to a dance, he could really dance good. In fact, when my mom went to the dance, all of her four older brothers had an assignment. When you were at the dance, you find your sister Irma and you dance with her. And don't you dare come home and let me know you have not danced with your sister. So she at least had four good dances, and every single one of them were good dancers. Well, one day Grandma Bruce was mopping the kitchen floor, and she was standing there admiring how beautiful it looked and how clean it was because she worked really hard on it. And all of a sudden, Glenn walked in the house, tracking on her clean floor, and got his dirty old shoes all over the floor and made it look terrible. So she took her mop and she swung it at him and he, she hit him right in the foot with the mop, the wet mop. Well, he's her older brother and she wants to have a water fight. Let's have a water fight. So he grabbed her around the neck and he drug her over to the sink and he turned the water on in the sink and was trying to hold her head down under the water and she was spraying water at him, throwing water at him and they fought and they scuffled long enough to get the kitchen floor completely covered with water. Just about that time, Grandma Jarrett walked in and she said, you stop this water fight right now. And Grandma Bruce had to clean. <clears throat> Grandma's name is Irma when she was a girl growing up, Irma. And her middle name, if you can believe it, is Thail, T-H-A-I-L. She hated that name. But she was named after somebody that was an aunt or something that they all thought was wonderful. So that was supposed to be a privilege to have that name. So put Irma and Thale together. What a name, Irma Thale. Anyway, when Grandma Bruce was a sophomore in high school, she didn't get to go to the dance when she wanted to um, because she didn't have a dress. Her folks were very, very poor, and they just plain flat did not have the money to buy her one. She had other dresses that she could have worn, but she thought she needed a new one because all the other girls, all her other friends, they were going with new dresses. So she just cried and cried, and the night of the prom, she just wasn't going to go. And she was sitting outside in her car crying, so nobody would know she was crying. And when Les, her older brother, came home, he came over and he saw her in the car crying. He said, what are you doing sitting out here in the car crying? And she told him, because I don't have a dress to go to the prom and all my friends have new dresses and I, I want to go and I'm not going to go because I don't have a dress. Well, Uncle Les said to her, if you'll stop crying and if you'll come into the house and stop this crying, I promise you that next year you're going to have the prettiest dress at the prom. So Grandma came out of the car, went into her room. She was still disappointed and still unhappy, but she remembered that whole entire year when she was a junior that when it came time for the prom that Les would give her a new dress like he said because he never broke his promises to her. So she went to him and she said, Les, it's almost time for the prom. And remember that you promised me that you would get me a dress. He said, and that's right. I will keep my word to you. What I want you to do, Irma, is I want you to go downtown, and I want you to look in all the stores, and I want you to find some pretty dresses that you really like. And when you find some, 
and I want you to come back and get me, and then I'll go downtown with you, and I'll look at the dresses, and we'll see which one is prettiest, and I'll get it for you, just like I promised. Well, first she went to Penny's, and she tried on one or two or three dresses. Then she went to a place called Fanny's Dress Shop. Stop laughing. I know that's funny. Fanny's Dress Shop, and she did the same, found a couple of dresses there. Then she went to a store called Ronzoni's, and that's an expensive store. And she found a beautiful yellow lace dress. The skirt was made of ruffles of lace and had a little short lace jacket that went along with it. And the cost of that dress was $29.95. Well, in today's money, that would have been like $145. Well, she knew she couldn't have that because it cost too much money and they were so poor. And the dresses at all the other places were like $12.95 or $15. So she went home and she told Les, well, I looked at some dresses. It's time for you to come with me. First he showed her the one at Penny's, and then he went, and she showed him the one at Fanny's. And then she said, well, I saw another dress at Ronzoni's, but it cost more than it should, and, but I'd still like you to see it just so you could see how pretty it is. So they went there, and he wasn't so sure he could afford it either, but he told her, well, just try it on so I can see how it looks, because she tried all the other ones on. So she hurried in, and she tried it on, and she was so happy. And when she came out, he said, I'll take all my money. It'll take all my money, but I want you to have that dress. So he took every bit of the money that he had, which was not very much in those days, but every single bit of his savings. And he kept his word to her, and he bought her that yellow dress from Ronzoni's. Well, Grandma Bruce was so happy. She never had a more beautiful dress in her life. She wore that dress to the prom, and she felt like the prettiest girl there. And she loved her brother Les so much because he promised her something, and he kept his word. And Grandma Bruce kept that dress for years and years and years, and she wore it for a long, long time. She always kept it in a box in a very special place so that it wouldn't get hurt. And every time there was an important dance to go to, she always wore her beautiful yellow dress. And I've always wondered, I wonder what happened to that yellow dress and where it's at. I think it's really neat if you have a brother or a sister who has a job or they're earning money or something, and they notice that you need something really badly, and they're nice enough to help you get it. My grandma, I mean my mother, has always loved her brother less just because of that one single thing of the yellow dress. Grandma Jarrett was a person that was very fun to be around, and Grandma Bruce just loved to be around her mom because she was a lot of fun. They'd giggle and they'd laugh together. Well, one time they went shopping downtown to a store called J.C. Penney's to look for a dress, and she had some money because the people in the back had paid the rent, so Grandma Jarrett decided to take that money and go shopping. When Grandma Bruce was with her, she tr uh, Grandma Jarrett tried on several dresses, and she finally decided on the one that she wanted to buy for herself. And when she looked in her purse to get the money to pay for the dress, there wasn't any. So she just knew that the two woman, women in the next booth who were trying on dresses had stolen her money when she came out to look at the dresses in the mirror to see how they looked. She just knew that the ladies next to her, in the stall next to her that were changing, had somehow snuck over there, got in her purse, and took her money. 
But Grandma Bruce said, well, Mom, maybe they didn't do it. Maybe you just left the money on the table and you never put it in your purse. She said, well, we'll just go and see. So she did, and I looked, I looked there. She sent Irma home, Grandma Bruce home, to go check, and when she looked, there wasn't any money at all. So Grandma Bruce went back and told Grandma Jarrett, there isn't, there isn't any money. You must have had it in your purse. I looked all over in the house and on the table and everywhere, and there was no money there. Well, Grandma Jarrett was so mad, she started looking for those women. And she was going to find them, and if she found them, she was going to have them arrested for stealing money out of her purse. She couldn't find them anywhere, so pretty soon they just had to go home. She was so mad, just fuming about the whole thing. And when Lavelle came in from work, she said, Lavelle, you'll never believe what happened to me today at Penny's. Two women got in my purse and stole the money that I had from the rent. And I would have had them arrested if I'd have run into them, but I couldn't find them. Lavelle said, well, it's a good thing you didn't, because when I came in the house earlier for lunch, I saw the money just sitting there on the table, and I put it in your china closet. Oh, she said, oh, my gosh. That would have been so embarrassing. I am so glad I did not find those ladies and have them arrested when they didn't even take my money. Oh, that was embarrassing, she said. Grandma Bruce's mother had a stillborn baby when they lived in Linville, Utah. The year was 1922. In case you don't know what a stillborn baby is, it's a baby that goes all nine months and then it dies in the mom's womb and it's born completely 100% whole, except that it, it dies. It's complete after all nine months, but the baby is born dead. That was a very hard thing on her family. And they, she had it, Grandma Jarrett did, she had the baby at home and was sick for a week in her last month of pregnancy. Before the baby was born, she Grandma Bruce, Jared had terribly high fever, and when this little baby was born, stillborn, she had big blisters on the top of her head and the bottom of her feet. Grandma Bruce says, I remember she was so beautiful. She had lots of black hair and a round little face that looked like a doll. She said, I remember the coffin. It was very, very tiny that they put her in, and her mom and, and her dad and another man built that coffin. And the Relief Society sisters came and lined it with white satin and lace. She said, I remember it was so pretty, and she was such a beautiful baby. We're very lucky in our family because no one's ever lost a child. We're very lucky.